G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Connecting faith to life. Vision. The story. I just got to the point where there was no love anymore. There was absolutely no love. And I think it was about six months in when I basically said to him, you've got to go and get help. Something's wrong. Because if you don't, I don't think we can come back from this. You are destroying this family. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Once again, our guests are Andy and Zoe Cullen, authors of the book Resurrected, A Story of Hope about their journey through post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Last time, Andy shared about the extreme anguish and distress he experienced after he returned from multiple deployments to Afghanistan, but he eventually put his faith and trust in the Lord. This time, Zoe shares her side of the story and what it was like living with someone with PTSD and having to walk on eggshells because she never knew what would set him off. Once again, Zoe and Andy are chatting with Eric Scadabo. You know, when he was in Afghanistan that last time for 12 months, I was exhausted and I thought, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait for my partner to come back. He's mm. going to help me. He's going to basically it'll be all hands on deck and, and I'll, I'll get a bit of a rest. Yeah, because um, you were a single parent of uh, uh, four children. Yeah, well, at that when he was away, I only had the three, but my eldest had just started um, primary school, and mm-hmm. and my youngest, my daughter Eden, whom Andy talked about before, she was only about eighteen months. So, yeah, it was. I was a single parent, and yep, man, I have a lot of respect for single parents. I would not wish that on anybody. It takes a lot of patience, and I'm not a very patient person. I've got, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like Greek Maltese, so. I get pretty fiery and stuff, so I, I've got a lot of guilt about how I handled it, or rather, how I didn't handle the single parent role. And I, you know, I know I've got to give myself a bit of a break about that because I was basically in survival. But when I thought that reprieve was coming when he was coming back from Afghanistan, that reprieve that never came. Um, basically, things were so bad. I was already exhausted, and then when he got back. I was in overdrive because I was on just in this constant mode of protecting the kids, shielding the kids from the emotional abuse. So I was just, you know, overcompensating and just constantly being the buffer between Andy and the children so that the kids wouldn't think that dad, dad was meaning what he was saying or that dad really did love them. And it, just this, I mean, I was, I was a mess and just, mm. um, I always thought, well, look, I can handle this for myself. Because I can deal with it, but my kids, I'm really freaked out about the kids getting damaged and this being just, um, just too much for them. And they, they were, you know, they were viewing a lot. Like my, my eldest son, who I often refer to as my little rock, because he, he just took so much responsibility on himself to help Andy to come out of depression and stuff. And, and, you know, there were many nights when Andy and I were having some just full on fights, just, just full on. And he would come out because he'd hear us yelling, and because you know, you, there's only so much you can you can pretend. Mm-hmm. And um, he would come in and go, "Mom, are you okay? Are you going to leave Dad? 
are you going to get divorced? Oh, wow. And that that's coming from a, you know, six, seven-year-old. You just yeah. really just – it really forces you to kind of get out of your own circumstance and out of your own head and and yeah. realise what impact everything that you're saying that they're hearing is having on them. And um, I think for me the pressure just, just became so much um, and I um, – at one point, I think it, when I just when I thought it couldn't get any lower, I actually found out I was pregnant with our fourth child, and I got a lot of guilt about it. But I just, I was not happy. I was just like, oh my gosh, really? What? How on earth am I going to get through this? Like I already feel like I'm responsible for protecting my three kids. I'm just at this place where I'm constantly building my husband up, trying to make him feel better about himself, trying to make him see purpose in life and value in life. And now I've got to go through this as well. I I, I actually literally, I cried all night. Mm. And uh, it was um, just something I wasn't, I had no joy in my pregnancy, none. Uh, people were coming yeah, over. And I, I, I just, mean, it's usually such a joyful thing, but based on all the things that you're saying that you've been going through, Obviously, it wasn't for you at this point. It wasn't. I, I wasn't equipped to handle it. And um, I actually literally, I, I was physically at the bottom of my reserve. I, I had nothing more to give. And I just, I thought, how can I possibly bring an innocent child into this, what had become loveless marriage? It was just so angry and, mm. you know, crying every day. And I just, I just couldn't see how that could possibly be you know, something that I wanted to bring a child into. Now, did you know anything about PTSD at this point? No. So you were, you were just doing your best kind of in the dark. I was just trying to survive, and I, I just thought yeah. Andy had be, turned into a, an absolute rat bag, but he hadn't been diagnosed <laughs> up until about six months after he left. So it was with some relief, actually, when he was diagnosed with PTSD because I was like, oh, wow. There's a reason for all this. It explains it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't make it easier, but at least yeah. – and the funny thing is it was at that point it was like, okay, right, you need a life coach. This is how we're going to get through this. So you had a plan of action. Yeah, let's watch what you eat. Let's not drink so much. Uh, let's go to bed at a reasonable time. Let's get exercise. But, of course, that just caused a whole lot of problems too because, you know, most men don't like to be told by their wife, um, do you really need another beer? Uh, mm. Should you be eating those chips? Is that a good choice? Like I, I basically became his parent and – I had um, completely emasculated him, basically. He was a child, and I hated it, and I resented him for that. I resented him for the fact that I had to have the responsibility of looking after him because he wouldn't take the responsibility of looking after himself. So it was weird because I resented him, but he resented me for being in control, but then he also felt like he was just constantly letting me down because he wasn't in control enough to make the right decisions. So there came a point, I think, when I basically um, was pretty angry. It was just after I found out I was pregnant and uh, it was after this this time of, okay, you know, once again Andy had done something where we were, we felt like we were two steps ahead and then he'd, he'd gone out and had an all-night bender drinking and then he would come home and, you know, alcohol is a depressant, so... You know, couldn't really get why it wasn't working for him. And he'd come back and we would just end up like 10 steps back. So I was just at this point of, 
okay, look, it doesn't matter what I do, unless you want to get better, you've got to help yourself. And I had a conversation with him where I said to him, um, look, I've just, I've got to focus on the baby. I can't do this anymore. I can't be only focusing on you. I've got to make sure the kids are happy. I've got to make sure the baby's happy. I've got to take some time for myself. So I really feel like it's not that I don't want to be a part of your journey anymore, but I've got to give this back to you. You've got to want to get better for yourself. I can't make you do it. Mm-hmm. So I basically said, um, you know, by all means, tell me what you're excited about, what's working, what's not, but this has got to be something that you're leading. And, um, of course, with his filters, he took it as me saying, I don't love you anymore and I'm leaving, which mm. was something that we dealt with often, it just take everything the wrong way. But he finally got it and uh, I believe that was a major turning point for Andy where I basically gave him back his power. Um, and for myself, I remember about two hours after the conversation, I found myself laughing for like the first time in so long. It was like I'd just taken this massive burden off myself that I wasn't equipped to handle anyway or deal with. So I really feel like that was a, a major turning point for, for both of us. It sounds like you were kind of trying to parent him into recovery by putting rules down and things. But what you're saying is he had to own it himself. Yeah, um, I, I, it's exactly what I was doing. I was parenting him. I became his parent. And of course, he would resent that. Yeah, he, he Nobody absolutely. Nobody wants your spouse to be your parent. <laughs> That's right. And he, he absolutely resented me. Um like it was out of my heart I was doing it. I was like, okay, how can I help you? I love you. How can I help you? I was doing what I knew how to do, which was to be a parent. Mm. I was not equipped to fix him. I could not yeah. fix him. I, I'm a fixer by nature too, so it's just what I do. I see a problem. I'm like, okay, let's find a solution. Let's do this. This was not something I could fix. I was completely out of my depths with PTSD. Absolutely. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Zoe Cullen about the struggles she went through after her husband Andy came back from serving in Afghanistan and was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Next, we'll find out how Zoe eventually called out to the Lord in desperation and how healing came to their lives. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Zoe and Andy Cullen, authors of the book Resurrected, A Story of Hope, about their journey through PTSD following Andy's multiple deployments to Afghanistan. Next, Zoe shares more of the struggles she went through, and then they'll both share how they're now helping others. Another turning point for me personally was, um, yeah, after a a massive argument, another massive argument, these were daily, sometimes multiple times a day, he viewed me as his enemy, so everything I was doing was against him. He could never see anything I did with good intention. We were just enemies. We were fighting all the time. And I just remember I locked myself in the room and crying and just grieving. I was actually grieving. Mm-hmm. Often I'd find myself grieving for 
what was lost because he wasn't who I married and I I hated to look to the future to see where our future was going. I hated the idea of, oh, my gosh, this is my life now. Mm. And um, I grieved who I who I was and who I had become. Like I was too set. It's just, just the weight of the world on my shoulders. But um, there was a time when I was just, I was angry with God and I just said, like I grew up as a Christian, but my my relationship with God was pretty limited to being a kid and just going, oh, you're, you know, I, I, I had never gone through grief and never had to call out on God to kind of meet me where I was at. And, and, mm-hmm. and in my anger, I just said, God, where are you? I can't do this anymore. This isn't fair. I, I, I didn't sign up for this. Um, if you don't show up now, I'm, I'm out of here. I've got nothing left. I've got no more, nothing left in the reserves. And it was at that time where God drew me to the scripture, uh, Romans 8, verse 28. All things work for good for those who trust in him and are called according to his purpose. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, how? That, that's what you're giving me? Like, hmm. what? How? How am I, how is this, how is this possibly a good thing? How is, are these tears, this, this pain, this suffering, my kids, my kids being damaged, how and bruised, how is this possibly a good thing? And um, I kind of learned to kind of go, okay, God, if that's what you're giving me, i got to trust it. And from that, I basically, I surrendered the situation. I surrendered my powerlessness and just said, it's in your strength because I'm not getting through this on my own. So, God, I'm giving it to you. And um, that's for me when I, I, I actually felt that real tangible peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. It was tangible. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, wow! That there, there is actually there's actual power in this. There's power in me being able to go. God, please show up now. It wasn't just fairy tales. It wasn't just something. Mm-hmm. It was God actually literally showed up. And I did develop the strength to get through stuff, but it was different. It wasn't my, wasn't me operating anymore. It was God mm-hmm. operating. So or me operating in God. Mm. Well, listening to your situation, I mean, I hate to say it, but it sounded like a living nightmare. The person who you married, your husband had changed into somebody very irritable and disagreeable who could fly off the handle at a moment's notice and you never knew what was going to set him off. Mm. Just sounded like a hopeless situation. But of course, that's the wonderful thing about our Heavenly Father. He can break through hopeless situations or seemingly hopeless situations. And he took that weight off of your shoulders. Is that right? Yeah, he did. He brought hope into a completely hopeless situation. Absolutely. Okay. And another turning point, uh, you had a suicide conversation? Yeah. Um, that was a that was a pretty big one. Um, we had this conversation where after Andy had had an episode, and um, this would have been about maybe three years into our journey with PTSD. And I just remember locking myself in a room with him, um, he was just freaking out and I could just see his eyes. His eyes would just get really dark and he'd, he'd like just go into his head. And I would just sit, I was just sitting there with him and, and, and speaking his scripture over and over and over his head to just kind of draw him out of it. And, um, he, he came out of it. I saw like just a bit of a glimmer and he's, he just said to me, um, Zoe, I've been, I've been thinking about, um, taking my life. And uh, my first reaction was anger. 
like how dare you how dare you leave me how dare you leave the kids how can you you've got these beautiful kids why would you give up on that you've got mm-hmm. so much hope what you've got so much to live for why would you give up on that you've I just I didn't understand it and then I had this revelation where I realized it wasn't that he was giving up on us or that we weren't enough for him but he actually he felt he wasn't enough for us and that we deserved more and somehow by him you know taking himself out of the picture that I don't know you know um sounded like the devil really was uh making him think very destructive and bad things about himself. Oh, man, such lies. Yeah. Such lies. And I know for himself too, he just felt that he was going to be get something completely different from me. He was he was so fearful of what I would think of him, um, so fearful of what he was going to get from me. Um, he, he got a punch in the arm. I know that. And I basically said, what are you doing? You don't, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up. We're in this together. Um, and, and it was such an important conversation because it was the first time that I actually understood the depths of where he was at, of where he was mm-hmm. coming from. You know, PTSD. The is, hurt and the pain that yeah, he was going through. For him to actually get to that point where he actually was contemplating that, um, you know, PTSD is, indiv- is, is an invisible injury. You don't, you don't see it. It's not like a, a broken limb where you're reminded to be, oh, that's sore, let's be gentle with that or let's just be cautious. It's 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 invisible. So you just like as a as a spouse, I just was I got a lot of regrets and guilts about how I handled it. I mean, there were many times when I was like, What why are you depressed? You've got friends that went over to Afghanistan, they lost their legs and they're out becoming these, you know, para Olympians or like they've overcome. What? What's your excuse? You've mm. got your health. You've got every single one of your your fingers and your toes. You've got four children. We live in a in a beautiful part of the world. Uh, what? You know, what, snap out of it. I would say. Like I just didn't get it. Mm. And it was that conversation where it was the first time that I actually got it. So he came back not with a broken arm or leg or a physical injury, but with a wounded heart. Yeah, it was spiritual. Mm-hmm. It was completely spiritual. He couldn't, he couldn't reconcile things that he'd seen with what he knew to be right. Yeah, he couldn't reconcile. Yeah. And Andy, you've been sitting quietly all this time. Would you like to share some of your comments on what Zoe's been sharing about? Yeah, that that was a, the most difficult conversation I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, I was, I was praying a lot during that time and I'm sure the strength to have that conversation came from the Lord, but I was so full of fear. I thought if I let this out of the bag, if I let the truth of what I'm thinking out in the open, everyone's going to think I'm crazy, no one's going to love me anymore, everyone's going to want to flee from me and I'm going to lose everyone anyway. But I was at that point where I just, I'd, I'd run out of options and... um. Mm. You know, I got that strength on that day, and I remember it vividly. Sitting on the bed there with Zoe, and it was it was really hard to voice it, to give voice to the actual thoughts that were going on in my head. Mm-hmm. But once I did, it almost removed their power. I realised yeah. that all the things that I was fearful of weren't actually real. Um, they were simply 
just fears in my head. And what I got back from Zoe, although there was a, some immediate anger and and um, and fear in her, was love, was empathy, and was patience. And what it did is it drew us back together as a couple. And it's really where I saw God start to heal our relationship. We started mm-hmm. to talk. We started to openly discuss some of the things that we were going through so that we could journey together. And that actually led into the book where we wrote the story together and, and then became something that we wanted to share and that we felt led to share to be able to bring a story of hope to others. It's, um, you know, God really blesses relationships and marriage and we're supposed to be open, we're supposed to be vulnerable with each other um, because we're not meant to do life alone. And I'm just so thankful mm-hmm. that, you know, Zoe stood by me through those horrible times because the relationship we have today is stronger through Christ, through all of this turmoil than it was when we first even, um, fell in love and got married. So, you know, God uses all things for good for those that are called to his purpose and, and we're called to his purpose and now we work together every day. We we spend mm-hmm. a lot of time together as a as a married couple and I'm extremely thankful for that. But the the best thing about that is bringing hope to others. So now you're both growing in your relationship and your faith in the Lord. And let's get caught up on what is happening today. You wrote this book that you mentioned, Resurrected, A Story of Hope. Yeah, that's right. So we share our story. We we do some public speaking and um, it's all gone really fast, actually. Um, we've created a, a charity called PTSD Resurrected um, and we focus on helping veterans and first responders that are suffering from uh, depression and PTSD. But we don't focus solely on the individual. We focus on the whole family. So... We believe in healing together, and part of that is we run a a reboot combat recovery course uh, here on the Gold Coast in partnership with Corumban RSL, and um, we've seen incredible healing. We've seen people come to know Christ, and we've seen incredible blessing. And you've mentioned that a number of the people who take the course are not Christians. Yeah, actually about 80% of the people that sign up for this course um, are non-Christian, and it's amazing. This is a faith-based course. Um, wow. We, we look at uh, stories from the Bible on how to deal with these issues like identity, loss of identity, loss of purpose, grief, um, forgiveness, guilt, um, because we've been given uh, the gospel as a guide. And all we have to do is be bold in sharing that. And uh, that was mm-hmm. that was tough to do, actually, the first time. And now we're getting bolder in it because we just see how God moves um, you just need to be able to share the word, and people will, it will resonate with people's hearts, and, mm. and they will they will find healing. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. My my faith yeah. grows every day yeah. that I'm involved in it, and um, yeah, I mean it, it, wow. it's just amazing. Can I can I just add a, a big part of this course is uh, look, we were on this journey. We've been on this journey for six years. When we discovered this course in America on a on a speaking tour last year, we actually when we went through this this course with Reboot, we found that they had basically everything that we stumbled on in six years, they've actually condensed into a 12-week program. Mm. And I'd like to think if we had have found this program, you know, five or six years ago, we would have been on our healing journey of where we are today a lot quicker. Mm. Um, but a big part of this course is accountability. And mm. um, 
you know, as, as I mentioned before, when I said to Andy, you know, I've got to give this back to you because you have to be, you've got to want this. It's mm-hmm. you, it's yep. about choices. And for Reboot, it does bring it back to, okay, yes, you've got PTSD as a result of this trauma or whatever, but where you are now is also a, a result of your decisions that you've made. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, the, the trauma is is like a fork in the road. You can either go up or you can go down. Which way have you gone? And, and it, it sort of like traces back from, okay, so you were exposed to trauma and then as a result you started drinking to handle it. Then that led to, I don't know, maybe... A downward spiral. It's a yeah. downward spiral, pornography, and before you know it, you've got marriage breakdown. You can't blame that on PTSD. So it's about coming back down to that point and going, well, hang on, I've got to make the right decisions. And it's empowering. It gives people back power of their lives. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Andy and Zoe Cullen, authors of the book Resurrected, A Story of Hope, about their journey through PTSD following Andy's multiple deployments to Afghanistan. You can learn more about their book at their website, ptsdresurrected.com. While there, you can also learn about the combat recovery course they mentioned called Reboot. Once again, their website is ptsdresurrected.com. It's great to hear that the Reboot Recovery course is faith-based and that the majority of people taking the course are non-Christians who are being introduced for the first time to the loving, healing power of our Heavenly Father. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us for this insightful look into PTSD and how healing can begin. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I got introduced to someone and then I was talking to them and then I could see like a pastor bringing someone else over to sub someone else in (laughs) to work on this new guy. And that guy, he invited me to his house that Wednesday night to what I found out later was a life group. And and I went to that life group and I remember it was the Monday after that Sunday and I'm, I'm driving into Mary Street Nightclub thinking, what does this mean for my life? Oh, right. Did I really make a decision? Jake Smith is a former nightclub owner whose life was radically changed after putting his faith in Jesus Christ. He'll share the impact this has had on his life and his journey to becoming a pastor. Next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.